towards the sky. In the wind, they piled one upon the other, as if an immense shield in the distance were holding them in place and allowing them no further passage, having made the promise of a storm. He was struggling in the wind to the top of a cliff, climbing from a V-shaped cove where he'd rested for an hour or so and watched the waves slamming into broad fins of slate that formed the reefs in this place. The tide was just beginning to come in, and he'd noted this. He needed to be well above it. He needed to find some sort of shelter as well. Near the top of the cliff he sat. He was winded, and he found it odd that no amount of walking these many days had seemed sufficient to build his endurance for the myriad climbs he was making along the coast. So he paused to catch his breath. He felt a twinge that he recognized as hunger, and he used the minutes of his respite to draw from his rucksack the last of a dried sausage he'd purchased when he'd come to a hamlet along his route. He gnawed it down to nothing, realized that he was also thirsty, and stood to see if anything resembling habitation was nearby. Hamlet, fishing cottage, holiday home, or farm. There was nothing. But thirst was good, he thought with resignation. Thirst was like the sharp stones pressing into the soles of his shoes, like the wind, like the rain. It reminded him when reminders were needed. He turned back to the sea, he saw that a lone surfer bobbed there, just beyond the breaking waves. At this time of year, the figure was entirely clothed in black neoprene. It was the only way to enjoy the frigid water. He knew nothing about surfing, but he knew a fellow Cenobite when he saw one. There was no religious meditation involved, but they were both alone in places where they should not have been alone. He had no answer and little interest in developing one. His inadequate meal finished, he resumed his walk. The cliffs were calm, slate, shale, and sandstone, and cliff bases were marked by mounds of the stony detritus called clitter that fell regularly to the beach below. Venturing near the edge meant a certain fall. A fall meant broken bones or death. At this section of his walk, the clifftop leveled out for some one hundred yards. The path was well marked, moving away from the cliff's edge and tracing a line between gorse and thrift on one side and a fenced pasture on the other. Exposed here, he bent into the wind and moved steadily forward. He became aware that his throat was painfully dry and his head had begun to fill with a dull ache just behind his eyes. He felt a sudden bout of dizziness as he reached the far end of the cliff top. Lack of water, he thought. He would not be able to go much farther without doing something about it. A stile marked the edge of the high pasture he'd been following, and he climbed it and paused, waiting for the landscape to stop swimming in front of him long enough for him to find the descent to what would be yet another cove. He'd lost count of the inlets he'd come upon in his walk along the undulating coast. He had no idea what this one was called any more than he'd been able to name the others. When the vertigo had passed, he saw that a lone cottage stood at the edge of a wide meadow beneath him, perhaps two hundred yards inland from the beach and along the side of a twisting brook. A cottage meant potable water, so he would make for that. It wasn't a great distance off the path. He stepped down from the stile just as the first drops of rain fell. He wasn't wearing his hat at the moment, so he shrugged his rucksack from his shoulders and dug it out. He was pulling it low onto his forehead, an old baseball cap of his brother's with mariners scrolled across it, when he caught sight of a flash of red. 
He looked in the direction from which it had seemed to come, and he found it at the base of the cliff that formed the far side of the inlet beneath him. There, a sprawl of red lay across a broad plate of slate. This slate was itself the landward end of a reef, which crept from the cliff bottom out into the sea. He studied the red sprawl. At this distance, it could have been anything from rubbish to laundry, but he knew instinctively that it was not. For although all of it was crumpled, part of it seemed to form an arm, and this arm extended outward onto the slate as if supplicating an unseen benefactor who was not nor would ever be there. He waited a full minute that he counted off in individual seconds. He waited uselessly to see if the form would move. When it did not, he began his descent. A light rain was falling when Deirdre Traherne...